mind, please, uh, in your work at the, at the bottom of the order of worship, there's uh, the heading says the 12 steps for us all. That's your outline. I hope you'll follow along today. We are, um, we are of course, in week five, and today we're talking about confession. In the early years of the Christian faith, in the, in the years of the church, right after, uh, right after Jesus had ascended and the disciples had lived and died, in that, those early years, of the, particularly the second century, when the church was still meeting in homes, a regular part of their worship experience was confession. People would unload. They would share their sins. and uh, they, they, There are writings that say they felt like they would build up if they didn't release them during the, on, on Sundays. And so they would, they would share their sins with each other and they would extend grace to each other. There, there's an, even a, a word for it. Exomologesis is the practice. Exomologesis of, of confessing to each other. And then as the church with a capital C became more institutionalized and formalized, they stopped confessing to each other and they began to confess only to the priest. And that was true until the 1500s. It still is true, of course, in many traditions today. But along came Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation and they said, so we need no other mediator than Jesus and so we don't need to confess to anyone. We, we just pray directly to God through Jesus and we don't need, we don't need people. And that's true. We need no other mediator than Jesus, but we've lost, we've lost something in the, and we lost the art of, or the practice of confessing to each other. So here's what we're going to, what we're doing. Next, next week, last week, some of you got one of these inventories. We all got, if you were here, they are, they are at the doors. If you didn't get one at the welcome centers, this is just a suggestion, a guide for Remember step four, which we're going to, we're going to write down our confessions. We're going to list our, our, our moral failures. Where we've messed up, people, we're going to list it. And so this week, and then I want you to bring it uh, next Sunday, and we're going to share them uh, with, with each other. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk. We're gonna share the the worst ones. We're gonna share them with everybody. We're just gonna tell everybody. Well, we're not gonna do that, but um, but it is important to this practice of confession. So that's where we are today. We're gonna talk about confession. We're we're in the twelve steps for us all. The twelve steps originated in the world of recovery, but they are rooted in the Bible and in the Jesus way of life. And so we're using the twelve steps as a program of Christian discipleship. The twelve steps for us all. Last week was step four, where we said we will we will put down. We will write down. Uh, our our sins, our wrongdoings, our moral failures. Today we come, and it got real last week. Beforehand it was kind of theory, but last week it got real when we started talking about actually writing our moral failures. And it gets really real this week when we talk about confessing. Follow your, get your outline out and follow along for a little while. Let's talk about step five and the verses that support us. In, in Alcoholics Anonymous, our AA step five reads like this. It's on your outline and on your screen if you're watching my television. Thank you, and by live stream. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. The biblical principle for us all. Let me pause real quick. I just thought it was That worksheet, if you're, I said TV. Thank you for watching it. TV and live stream. And there's a QR code. I think those guys that do this. I don't know where it is now. But if you scan that, you can get one of these. Of course, it's free. Just a guide. Okay. Commercial's over. Let's go back to the biblical principle for us all. Is this. I confess to God, to myself, and to someone I trust, my sins and the character defects behind them. Our guiding texts from the Bible this week are Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. In the translation known as the message, it reads, You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and believing. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just or fair, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Ephesians 4, 25, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other after all. In Psalm 32, 3 through 5, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And as I acknowledged my sin to you, did I cover up my iniquity? I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave the guilty of my sin. So in step five, we come clean. We come clean regarding our moral failures, the way we've messed up, the way we've hurt people, even the things we're grateful for. And there are three levels to this coming clean. Number one, we're honest with ourselves. The self-deception is so common and so easy. 
We can pass the buck, we can shift the blame, we can play the role of victim, we can explain away just about any sin, not any wrongdoing or wrongdoing. So at step five, if we're going to do this right, then we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. So that when we come upon on our list, whatever your list looks like, when we come up here the way we've heard someone or messed things up, we won't explain it away. We won't blame our parents or anybody else. We won't blame society. We won't blame our circumstances. We won't say, I'm just a human. We will, in the words of Jeremiah 3.13, acknowledge our guilt. So, the first element of being element of confession is ourselves, is being honest with ourselves. The second is, we will be honest with God. We will say, Lord, now I know you know what's on my list. Let me tell you about number one. Let me tell you about number two. Of course, he already knows. In fact, where the silliest scene maybe in the Bible is in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve hid from God. He called out for them, and Adam said, Lord, we sinned, and so we hid from them. As if he didn't know where they were. As if he didn't know what they'd done. As if he did not know their hearts. So we, we don't hide from God. We know we can't. We're just explicitly honest with him. We, we actually confess to him. And when we do, it's not just cathartic. It's not just getting something off our chest. We read a moment ago that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and fair to forgive our sins and clean us up from all this. We're honest with ourselves, we're honest with God, and here's where it gets hard. We're honest with another human being. Back in December, I talked about what we should do when there is something that doesn't fit in the family Christmas letter. You know, in the family Christmas letter, Dad just finished his freshman marathon, Mom just got a promotion, the kids are on the honor roll, and the all-star team. The truth is, in all our lives, there are things that, there are things that don't fit the persona that we want to present, that don't fit within the role that we want to play in the world. There are things that might be embarrassing. So how do we own those in a healthy way? How do we own the messiness of life in a healthy way? Well, back in December, I said, we don't tell everything to everybody. We don't lie or pretend with anybody. And we come clean with somebody. We don't tell everything to everybody. We don't tell everything to everybody because my pain may be part of somebody else's story. Someone's story is not mine to tell. Also, we don't tell everything to everybody because some people be gossip. And so we don't tell everything to everybody. But we, we don't lie or pretend with anybody. We don't. We're not hypocrites. Where hypocrite comes from the ancient Greek place where someone would put on a, on a mask. We're not going to tell everything to everybody. We're not going to pretend to lie. We're not going to say we're perfect. We're not going to pretend that we are. We're not going to pretend that our lives are perfect. If someone asks, we can say, well, you know, life is complicated or this is a particularly difficult stretch of the road for me. We won't tell everything to everybody. We won't lie or pretend with anybody. But here we go. We will come clean with somebody. With somebody. I know that that's frightening. I know that there's risk in, in being completely honest and like telling our secret sins to someone. But it is in being vulnerable that we are, that we are healable. When we get to the point where we are ready to share the, the unvarnished, unguarded truth to another human, then we have come to a place where we are able to be changed by God. Let me say that again. When we, when we reach a point emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, where we are ready to share the unguarded, unvarnished truth with someone, we have reached the place where God, God changes. On your outline, there's a quote from the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Look down there. Many an alcoholic, once agnostic or atheistic, some who didn't believe in God, some who weren't sure, many tell us that it was during this stage of step five that he or she first actually felt the presence of God. And even those who had faith on that often became conscious of God as they never were before. Now let's dig a little deeper into this question of this matter of sharing honestly with another person. Three questions. Who am I going to tell? What am I going to tell? And why am I going to tell? First, who am I going to tell? Well, we're going to prayerfully choose someone. We're going to choose someone who trusts, not to judge us, and not to shame us, and not to tell anybody. We're going to choose someone who's not going to let us off the hook. You know, they're not going to say, oh, that's not so bad. They're not going to let us off the hook. It might help to find someone with whom we feel like we have a lot in common. Maybe common personalities, common experience, common problems. 
one Thursday night in our North Star, in our North Star expression, the church among people in recovery and people who love people in recovery. We were talking about step five. And one young man had gone to his sponsor or his mentor in recovery, and it was his first time to come clean with another human, and he was nervous, he was frightened, and he said that to his mentor. And his mentor said, I tell you what, you tell me one, and I'll tell you one. So that's how they did it. So the, the, the young man said, we went lick for lick. So you might not be able to go lick for lick, but it is helpful if there's somebody who can at least empathize with your, with your situation. So who am I going to tell? I'm going to tell somebody I can trust who won't let me off the hook. And maybe somebody who might have something in common. It could be a professional, it could be a therapist, it could be a minister, or it could be, it could be a friend. Who am I going to tell? Second, what am I going to tell? We're going to be specific. We're going to talk about particular things. We're not going to use general terms. You say, well, you know, I've, I've been a bad boy, I've been a bad girl. Everybody's, we're going to say, you can take your list if you want to and say, let me just, let me just read it. Let me just read it. We're going to be, we're going to be specific. We're also going to talk about the lies behind our wrongdoings. For example, we can say, I lied because I'm always afraid of what people are going to think of me, so I lied to make myself look better. Or, I lashed out because I had this resentment deep inside me, and it's bitter, and sometimes I explode. Or, I did this, or I did that, because of my character defect, and this is my character defect. So we're going to share specifics. The most important why am I going to tell? Who am I going to tell somebody I trust? What am I going to tell specifics? Who am I going to tell? Excuse me, why am I going to tell? Because it's freeing. It's freeing. And liberating. In the big book it reads, once we had taken this step, withholding nothing, we were delighted. We could look the world in the eye. As you tell your secrets, they lose their power over you. As you tell your secrets, the chains fall off. As you tell your secrets, the clouds lift. We all know what it's like, I suppose, to have skeletons in a closet. Those things that we hope nobody ever finds out about. Those things we vowed to ourselves will take to the grave. Those things we pray will never be revealed. The truth is, those skeletons in the closet will haunt you, haunt you until you bring them, you bring them to light. light. There's something healing, something healing and, liberating and liberating about looking into the eyes of another imperfect human and sharing our secret sins. Why do we tell another human? For the freedom and the healing that that telling brings. Do you remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Not the songs, but the animated movie. It's my second favorite movie. I watch it every Christmas. Right behind White Christmas is my favorite Christmas movie. I know it should be something spiritual, but it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Near the end of the, near the, end of the movie, it's a dramatic scene. They're in the cave, a cave. Rudolph's girlfriend, Clarice, is there. Rudolph's mother is there. Rudolph has found them, and he's been knocked out by the dreaded abominable snow monster. Remember the abominable snow monster? Pig. Mean, toothy fella. Well... It's bad, it's bad, and so we're all assuming it's not going to end well. But then, and Yukon Cornelius shows up the prospect. We're always looking for silver and gold. And Hermie, the little elf who wanted to be a dentist, this was Yukon Cornelius. And they show up in the nick of time. Yukon Cornelius rolls a rock off over the head of the abominable snow monster. And Hermie, who always wanted to be a dentist anyway, pulls all the snow monsters. But then the snow monster wakes up. Dramatic music swells. He's still big and scary looking, and he heads toward Clarice, and Mrs. Rudolph, and Rudolph, and Rudolph. And Hermie, the elf who would be a dentist, steps out from behind the snow monster and says, Don't let this big blowhard scare you anymore. Just walk right past him. And the camera pans up to the face of the big, hairy, abominable snow monster. And he has no teeth. He's still scary looking, and he's still big and formidable, but he ain't nearly as scary as he was. Acknowledging our sins to God, to ourselves, and to someone else. It's like deep toothing, like deep. The abominable snow monster. The monster doesn't go away. The facts remain. We cannot undo what we have done. Memories don't vanish. But with the sharing of our failures, the past doesn't have the power over us that it used to. 
My wrongdoings are not as the memory of my wrongdoings is not as scary as are not as scary as they once were. My past has been detoothed. By the way, this is not the last time that we'll we'll do this. Confession of our sins to ourselves, to God, and to other people is something that we that we should do periodically for the rest of our lives. I told you that I'm working through these twelve steps a little ahead of you. And so in January, Carrie and I were in another state. My stuff is so bad I had to get out of Alabama to tell it. So we were in another state visiting with a couple friends of ours, two friends of ours, a married couple we've been married with them for a long, long time. I called him before we went and I told him what we were going to do. So one afternoon, uh, she and Carrie were visiting and he and I went to his, they have a hunting lodge on their place. So he and I went to the, to the hunting lodge. I chose him because I trust him. I trust him. I trust him not to shame me. I trust him not to judge me. I trusted him not to tell anybody. I didn't want to disappoint him. In fact, I began by saying, I don't want you to think less of him. He assured me he would not. And I think he didn't or doesn't. In fact, I think our friendship was probably strengthened because of my honesty. I was candid. I was specific. I told the unguarded or unvarnished truth. It was frightening. It was humbling. But it was freeing. And it was healing. And I had an experience like none I ever have had. I've been a pastor for a long time, I've been a Christian for longer. And I've never known the healing from my wrongs and regrets like I knew when I sat in front of another human being and told my secret sins. I'm going to tell you, like I told you last week, you're, you're going to decide whether you're going to come and listen to a series about the 12 steps or whether, as a matter of Christian discipleship, you will work the 12 steps. And do not skip this one. Before I sat with my friend, I would have said it's enough to talk to God. I would have been wrong. Our friends in recovery who are working the 12 steps have something we don't have, something we don't have, many of us. If you want your past to be detoothed, then you need to sit down with another human being and tell the truth. Carrie, my wife, is, um, is going through some stuff in her house. And she found my, my report cards. Including this one from the third grade. And um, the teacher in school is Noble Street, grade three. The teacher is Peggy White. Now some of you know that uh, Peggy White married Woody Delisle, and now I'm Peggy's pastor. He's not my third grade teacher anymore. Well, I was in my office this week. I had this in my office, and I heard Peggy and Woody outside my office talking the case, so I went out there and they talked out there. I took Peggy my third grade report card. I opened it, and with some, with some disappointment, I pointed out. She had given me a B in conduct my first six weeks. She took the report card, looked at it, and she did point it out that she gave me A's the rest of the six weeks, and she said, see, that just proves that anybody can turn their life around. <laughs> now, on this, it's interesting that it's called number work. I'm so old, they didn't call it arithmetic, they called it number work. And so in number work, it's the opposite. I got an A the first time, and B's the rest, and B's the rest. And it got a lot worse after the third grade. There was never any doubt that I, that I may have a gift in mathematics. I do not. But I've always loved language. I love, I love words. I've always, I always enjoyed spelling bees. Remember spelling bees? In fact, someone from Huntsville, I should have looked it up. One that's national spelling bees, not so long ago. You know, you line up against the wall and they give increasingly hard words. And then when you, when you miss one by one, by one letter, it's like, eh, you lose. And you take the walk of shame to your, to your desk, right? And you sit down at your desk and the rule is, and we, we, you know, don't raise your hand if you think you know how to spell a word. Because you, friend, you, friend, are done. Last opportunity. Blown. I'm going somewhere with this. John Claypool said, life is not like a spelling bee. 
where we get increasingly hard words, and when you miss one, you, miss one, you have to go sit down. Have to go sit down. If, life, if life were like a spelling bee, Claypool said, there would be no hope for any of us. Any of us. I want you to remember that life is not a spelling bee when you get your, you get your list, whether it's this or a legal pad or whatever you have. When you look down at your hurts and habits and hang-ups, when you look down at your regrets and your wrongdoings, when you look down at your, at your trespasses and transgressions, remember life is not like a spelling bee. If it were, there'd be no hope for any of us. This list, whatever your list looks like, does not define you. There are, there are consequences, to be sure. But this list does not define you. Your yesterdays do not determine your todays and your tomorrows. Because God's love is not just love, it is grace. It is unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting. And Jesus proved that when he stretched forth his hands, the blood running down his back, and saliva running down his face. And 1 Peter 2.24 says he took upon himself our list. Life is not like a spelling bee.